Okay, well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and that's what we're going to give you, is some of the keys to the kingdom, and so that you can open the door to the kingdom, which is Christ, but opening the door to Christ means that he is also the portal to the kingdom, and you have to believe in Christ by faith. Problem is, is there's a lot of things out there claiming to be Christ. A lot of people are saying, this is Christ, this is Christ, this is Jesus, this is Yeshua, this is Yahweh. And they're creating images of God that are not correct. So what makes me think I can tell you what the image of God is all about, what Christ is all about, and everybody else is wrong? Well, I'm not saying everybody else is wrong. I'm saying what I've discovered, and I'm showing why I discovered it. And and you're just going to have to figure out whether or not it makes sense. But I warn you ahead of time. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have to pray in your heart that the Holy Spirit awaken you to the truth. I can't awaken you to the truth. I can awaken you to the lie. (laughs) I can tell you what the lie is. And once we've eliminated all the lies, then what we're left with is the truth. But in order to eliminate the lies, we have to get rid of some of the ideas and beliefs that we already have that just ain't so. And so that's where we're at. And so we've been talking about this portal, the idea of the portal to the kingdom and the, the money changers of the temple. We look at the Greek word for money changers and we find out what the money changers were actually doing and what the month of Adar is. And we talk about this in the books and articles showing you that the month of Adar was kind of like income tax day. It was April, and it was the middle of April, the Ides of April, and that's when you had to pay into the temple. But originally they were free will offerings. You had to pay the in, in the eyes of God, but nobody could force the offering. It was a free will offering. You chose to give into the temple. And the way you gave into the temple is not directly send it in, you know, mail it in on Adar the 15th to the temple to take care of the business of government, which is partly the business of religion. And religion, of course, is the business of taking care of the needy of society. And the needy of this society are usually the infirm or elderly of the society whose family no longer exists or is broken down. You know, children die. of what There's a widow we take care of. Uh, we watch over. And she had four children, and two of them have died. And one of them is in financial difficulty. I think they could do more, but heck, half the time they're taking care of their own children's children. And so uh, we, she has one son that helps her out, but she also gets Social Security, although she gets the absolute minimum. And so we're there. My wife goes down and makes sure she got her groceries and makes sure she's okay. And I do maintenance on the house and fix doors, and we put a roof on her house. She paid for the materials, but we pretty much put the roof on the house. And we do put a lot of insulation in for her and everything. And we cut firewood for her or see to it that she gets firewood that's split and available. So, yeah, Social Security takes care of us somewhat. Well, we pick that particular lady we do a lot for. We do some for some other elderly ladies. But we look at their life. And as they have given to the community, to their families, to... Society in general, we are inclined to do more for them. And we did the same with some elderly gentlemen who had health problems. 
and and we do that. We would love to be taking care of the needy of the kingdom, but so few of you are in the kingdom. So few of you are really sacrificing daily for the daily ministration of the kingdom. So we don't have too many people in the kingdom that we have to take care of. So we pick and choose who we can take care of out there in the world. If tens of thousands of people repented and sought the kingdom of God, which was a system of social welfare that was operating by faith, hope, and charity and not fear, force, and and compelled uh, offerings, which is the way most Christian people who call themselves Christians do today. They take care of one another through, you know, forced offerings and and borrowing against the future, which is a violation of the Sabbath. And uh, taking a bite out of one another. And, you know, uh, men who exercise authority one over the other to take away from your neighbors so that you can have these benefits and take away from your neighbors' children and their future so that you can have these benefits. So that's... That's what most of society is and the way most of society is operating. And, of course, that is contrary to the ways of Christ. And so all the people operating that way are not really Christians, but they pay really good money to ministers who will tell them that they are Christians, even though they're not. And, of course, those ministers are not really Christian ministers because they're not really preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're saying all you have to do is believe. Yet, over and over and over again, Christ said you had to be a doer of the word. You had to keep his commandments. They say you don't have to do that. You just have to believe. Believe in what? Believe in their image of Jesus. Not the image we see of Jesus. Not what we see Jesus doing, what we see Paul said Jesus was doing. Because when Paul was talking to the faithful, he wasn't talking to people who were eating the free bread of Rome. He was talking to people that were providing a daily ministration and rightly dividing the bread from house to house through a free will association of people who sat down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands and took care of one another. So there you have the keys to the kingdom. I can go home now and not tell you anymore. But unfortunately, you don't quite get it. And you won't get it until you actually do it. Until you join congregation, which is why we started preparing you and started the network. So that you could go and join the network and find people as close, physically close to you as possible. Because the closer they are to you physically, the more likely you will be able to help them in time of need. And it's kind of a byproduct to that, more likely they could help you in your time of need. That can't be your motivation. Your motivation has to be to help them. Because if you just want to be helped, then you have the love that my cat has for birds. You have the love that devours. You want to have the love that sacrifices, the love of Christ. The kind of love that Christ had. Where he came and he was rich, he made himself poor, and then he gave, he had a couple loaves and fishes, and he gave them away, and, and went without so that others can have enough, and shamed the people into beginning to share. And so, I work manual labor, I don't live on the contributions of the people, most of all the contributions we receive go back out to the people. Because we sustain ourselves with our own labor, and of course, 
because I am not of the world, I can't get a lot of the good lucrative jobs of the world. <laughs> so I have to do things like clean out septic tanks <laughs> and things like that, which I am fine with. But I can tell you this, at 70-some, working 12, 15 hours a day and doing radio programs and writing books and writing articles and trying to keep people to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is getting to be quite a chore. You know, the Levites, the retirement age for a Levite was 55. That's what it says in the Bible. At 55, he's not supposed to have to do any more manual labor. And I could devote all my time to preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I wouldn't have to support my family. Because I could collect Social Security, but I won't. Because I know Social Security is the Corbin of the Pharisees. If you don't know that, go read our article. Because you don't know the Bible. If your preacher doesn't tell you what Cor- that Corbin and of the Pharisees and Social Security system of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt are exactly the same kinds of systems, if he isn't telling you that, you need to get yourself a new minister. Because he is a false teacher. He is happy, and I and I talked about it this morning that there's one representative, but there's a whole group of pastors trying to get a hold of me and glean me for information. I always thought when he was, he didn't want to make his church 501c3, and as far as I know, he hasn't ever done that. Although the church, one of the churches he serves is a corporation, but he hasn't applied for 501c3 status. And I explained to him and gave him a pamphlet for free that shows them how this works, and so he didn't do it. And, uh, but he didn't do it because I told him. He went and paid a lawyer $700. I gave him the pamphlet for free that told him everything that the lawyer was going to tell him. Showed him the laws. Showed, cause it's, they're so condensed. They put it all down. You get all the basics. You don't need, if I have to jammer at you for hours and hours and hours and hours on the same subject, you know, originally that pamphlet was 70, 75, 78 pages, I think it was. I reduced it down to 12. So you didn't have to read much. But it tells you everything in the pamphlet. And then he went and paid a lawyer $700. You know, I produced the pamphlet, put all the research, put it all together. It took me years uh, to get to, to the state that it's now in. Although, you know, I wrote most of the covenants of the God in, in a matter of months. Uh, although I, I did go back and expand certain chapters years later. But people don't get it that the covenants of the God is not the answer. It's it's the proof you don't have the answer. <laughs> and you need the proof to know that you don't have the answer so that you can turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because only Christ has the answer. And, he, and the answer is the Holy Spirit. And even though I give you information, I like I said this morning, I give you that information so that you will realize what you are treasuring now as the truth is... Dung. It's useless. It has no value. The truth is this Holy Spirit of God and the righteousness of God. And that's what you need to do is find that Holy Spirit. How do you find the Holy Spirit? Well, go through the portal. Go through the gate. It's through Christ. How do you go through Christ? You have to do what Christ said. You have to be a doer of the word. 
Why? Because you're going to earn the right? No. Because in doing, you learn. You learn by doing. It's it, the king, Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is a matter of on-the-job training. You, you can't talk about laying down your life for his sake. You have to actually lay down your life for his sake. You know, you can't just fudge at it. You gotta actually do it. And that's great if you're taking care of your family and, you know, I, we have some people coming to the Burning Bush Festival that, uh, have great families and, and have changed many things in their lives in order to get to the point where they're at. We haven't other people that have had more difficulties with their families. Yet they've learned and they've, that they're in positions of service to other people. And taking care of other people. And providing for other people. They're still in the system and in the world. Now, finding ordained ministers or ministers worthy of ordination. Not, I really shouldn't say worthy because none of us are worthy. We all deserve <laughs> worse than we get. But at least if you're somewhat uh, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And willing to lay down and sacrifice to that. You're at least prepared to begin the process of ordination and anointing. Uh, but it is, it is quite a struggle. A struggle of patience, a struggle of endurance, a struggle of sacrifice. Uh, but, cause it is a burden. Christ said, you know, that, that it is a burden. Uh, to pick up your cross and to pick up that, that's a burden. But compared to the alternative, his burden is light. And so, but you have to seek that kingdom. So, anyway, we talked about a number of things. I won't go through all those things. I'm still getting bells and whistles warning me about the show. Uh, yeah, I had no idea. For some reason, the first alarm didn't go off. I, I got an alarm and we were two minutes to the show began. <laughs> so, and I had to run to get here, to say the least. So anyway, if you're interested in coming, join the network to the Burning Bush Festival. Join the network. Tell people that you're interested in coming. Identify where you're at, and what, you know, and then people will get a hold of you. But really, what you want the the email networks are meant so that you can start gathering together and caring for one another, and stop looking for those ministers who tickle your ears. I had somebody stop in today, and and. Uh, I won't say what he said I am. <laughs> he said it smiling and laughing. But uh, uh, I, I challenge people at, and all, at many different levels, not j- in every walk of life, not just, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to help you realize your full potentials as members of mankind. And uh, you want to be a child of God. You have to wake up. Stop all this self-righteous rhetoric. Oh, we do this and oh, we do that. And oh, we say these words and we wear this outfit and we keep this, uh, you know, we have our checklist. I talked about this this morning, a checklist of things that we do. Yeah, but you don't do righteousness. You you aren't gathering together in the tens, hundreds, the thousands to take care of your family and your neighbor. And those of you who are extremely successful of much is given and much is expected. But we're not talking prosperity gospel because we never measure wealth by money. 
The kingdom of God does not measure wealth by money. It measures it by something far different. So even though I'm dripping with sweat and my hands are black with grease and oil and metal fibers and grinding, <laughs> and uh, one hand is bandaged because <laughs> there was a slight accident yesterday, but uh, I'm still happy. Aren't you happy? <laughs> Aren't you content? I look at the world and I pray daily because I see it headed for a cliff. It's it's jumping. You know, we talked about that this morning. Jumping off a building and uh, careening to the sidewalk. And after you jump off the building, there's no time to start thinking about. We need to have uh, something to land on on the sidewalk. Uh, we need to, you know, we need to learn to fly. We should have packed a parachute. The reality is is that you make choices and you're going to suffer the consequences of those choices. And so you, you need to, you know, look at it uh, much differently than the way that people have been looking at life because you do make a choice. Now you don't, the real choices are not made in the intellectual mind where you take this fact and that fact and you add them up on a sheet of paper and you check off this, check off that, and you say, well, it looks like this is what I should do. No, the choice is made deep down in your heart. The problem is most of you won't go deep down in your heart. And you need to go deep down in your heart. You need to take a look at the depths of your own being and the depths of your own heart in order to get past that portal. Because... The kingdom of heaven is already here. It's all around you all the time. And the kingdom of hell is here all around you all the time. And you're getting messages from both sides all the time. And you're either going to follow one or you're going to follow the other. Like I say, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to the kingdom of God. It's just about direction. So it's like a directional antenna. You, you line it up and all of a sudden you'll get the signal. And you'll know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. But what takes you out of alignment so that you cannot hear the Holy Spirit? Well, being covetous, being selfish, being judgmental, angry, gossipers. You know, Paul goes through a big long list, backbiters, fornicators. Now, fornicators is not just sexual fornication, but national fornication. Every time you look to the world to solve your problems... You're not looking at the kingdom. You're looking at the world. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to the world, but realize and suffer the pain and agony of knowing that you have led your life in such a way all these years so that you have to go to the world. You have no other alternative. If you really have no other alternative. But, you know, what is the alternative? I remember when I first talked to my wife and when I was first realizing the contractual nature of government, just starting to write the book Covenants of the Gods and I'm explaining how this all works. And she says, I don't care. Even if I live, go out in the desert and live in the tent. Well, we're pretty old now. She probably doesn't really want to live in the tent. But that was her reaction. She didn't want to be a part of such deception. She saw it. Spiritually, she saw it. Intuitively, she saw it. She's getting tired, too, <laughs> of waiting for everybody to get their act together. See, there everybody's expected. Somebody just said to me again yesterday, uh, who asked me to come and look at something at his house, an old guy. 
And I went over there and looked at him and solved the problem. He, he, I solved the problem he didn't know he had so that he could solve the problem he does have. <laughs> and uh, when he gets the right part, we'll solve that problem too. <laughs> but anyway, he says, if you build it, they will come. I said, if they build it, they'll be there already, which is my favorite comeback to that. I'm not supposed to build the kingdom so that you can come and wallow in it. I will build a pig pen for my pig to wallow in. <laughs> I'm not going to build the kingdom for you. You build it and you'll be there already. Because if a kingdom of God is not a place. And this is what one of the common themes that we're going through. Is that it's not tied to your relationship with a place or organization. Or uh, a... Uh, you know, doctrine or theology or church building. It's tied to righteousness. That's why Christ said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you have to seek righteousness. Well, it isn't righteous to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, which 90% of the people in the world, and that's a generous figure, 90% of the people in the world desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor. Or their neighbor's children. Because they don't mind the government borrowing from the future to pay them now for what they want. What was it? Was it Wendy in the Popeye uh, cartoons? You know. Will you loan me a nickel for a hamburger today and I'll pay you back tomorrow? (laughs) Was not a Sabbath keeper. He wanted it now without earning it. And so that's the way most people are. And you have to repent of that and think differently. You're not laying down your life if you're spending all your time picking up. If you're going to church to get a good feeling, then you're not going to church to lay down your life. You're just deluded. You know, same as the guy who uh, goes around in a dress. I talked about this morning in Christmas Valley. I had heard about him. I actually seen him the other day. And uh, quite a shocker. <laughs> Because the dress doesn't do any good for him whatsoever. But anyway, he's delusional. He's absolutely delusional. I, I actually, I knew the guy years ago when he used to wear fatigues and green shirts and all this kind of stuff. And I think he's just doing a what you might call a clinger for those who used to watch MASH, clinger. He's just doing it so they can get a disability check. I think they started to think, well, you're not really disabled, and we're going to give you a... But, oh, suddenly he was a woman, and can't get a job, so he's disabled, because he's under a delusion. Well, that isn't the way it works in the kingdom of God, and I could straighten him out. I think I could talk to him, but I don't know if he wants to be straightened out. So, I, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, I will have no problem explaining to him that he's being foolish... And catering to a delusion for an effect. And he's not going to get that effect out of me. I'm not, I'm not repelled by it. I'm not, uh, I, but I'm, I'm not fooled by it. I'm not intimidated by it. You know, because I will speak the truth. But anyway. What about your delusions? His is obvious. You know. But what about your delusions? You think you're a Christian. You think you're a good guy. You think you're like Christ. You think you put on the character of Christ. You think you do things in Christ's name. Then why aren't you doing what Christ said? Well, you need to do that. 
So anyway, what I was going to talk about, and we talked about a little bit this morning, is uh, some of the people that began to lead us astray, to take us away from the ways of Christ. And nobody's going to make you do an about face, turn around and go the opposite way. That's not practical. That's a hard sell. But what they will do is they will creep in little differences in doctrine that seem appealing and then slowly turn your head. What was it? A line from Big Fat Greek Wedding. The man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck. And the neck can turn the head any way it wants to. <laughs> so, and you know, we always get the impression that he knows she's turning his head. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a humorous joke. It's, it's in a movie. But the reality is, is this is what theologians have been doing for years. They turn your attention in the wrong direction. And you need to know when they're doing this so that you don't go in those directions. And we talked about some of the things, you know, it was Augustine of Hippo, really an Augustinian. And, of course, there were two Augustines. Well, there are actually more than two Augustines. Um, But there was Augustine of Canterbury and there was Augustine of Hippo. And I've been working on uh, putting together some things so that you get a picture of how Augustine of Hippo was altering the gospel of Christ. Because he was he was born, you know, uh, 30 years after, or 40 years after Constantine began the Constantinian Christianity, which is quite a bit different than the Christian Christianity of Christ. And uh, And he began to, you know, he was a pretty immoral guy when he was younger. And then he finally began to change and become this bishop in North Africa. But he argued uh, Pelagius' views, uh, but his writings were opposed by many monastic circles of the time. Well, who are those monastic circles? See, if I say monastic, you're thinking monasteries as you know today. That isn't necessarily what they were back then. A monastery was a hospital, a seat of higher learning, uh, who was the guy in Braveheart, the, the real character of Braveheart. He learned military tactics and how to use a sword in a monastery. <laughs> That's where he, he learned military tactics. It was in a monastery. He also learned other languages there. They were seats of learning. They were like universities. If you wanted to go more than just the basic learning, you could send somebody to the monastery and they would learn all kinds of things, medicine, all these things. So, but the monasteries today are usually full of a bunch of guys who sit around and, and waste their lives pretending to be holy. And there may be some good guys in there, and that's one of the things. Augustine was not... He was pretty bad at the beginning. Later on, he kind of straightened up a little bit, and he said a lot of good things. And, but were they all Christ things? Or was he starting to... He was... One of the most prolific and powerful early church writers was what he was writing true, or was it false? Was it leading people to Christ, or was it starting to turn the head of mankind to look another way? And so you have to kind of look at them critically, but you really should be looking at everybody critically, including myself. 
But anyway, uh, so there were people opposing his writings that disagreed with him that had been around for a long time before he showed up on the scene and stopped whoring around with women and his mistress and having children out of wedlock and and loving to, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. But anyway, uh, objections included in his doctrine are the depravity of the fall of man, which seems to be total black or white. Well, we're not black or white. Augustine wasn't black or white. But the direction you're going is either towards the kingdom or away from the kingdom. And there are many things you can do that will take you away from the kingdom, while there's a few things you might do to... But uh, the the sexuality of man was not the sin of man. The sexuality of man was evidence of the sin of man. The sin of man was he decided to decide for himself what was good and evil. That was the point at which he jumped off the building. Once you decide that you're going to decide good and evil, this is a very vain and proud position. Once you decide that, that you're going to do this intellectually, you're going to decide what is right and wrong. You've turned your back on the Holy Spirit. You may not say that, but that's what you've done. You're now going to depend upon your intellect. Once you've done that, you've jumped off the building. And you're predestined to crash and burn. And so you don't want to do that. So what do you rely on if you don't rely on your intellect? You know, calculating things out. Well, you have to rely on the Spirit, and specifically the still small voice that will guide you. How do you hear the still small voice? Well, you have to be willing to see the truth. Because the first thing the still small voice will tell you is the truth about yourself. So you have to be willing to see the truth about yourself. He also seemed to take away individual free will with the effects of what he called irresistible grace. You know, his mother, uh, Monica, I guess her name was, was always praying for him when he was being the sinful man and hoping for him. And then finally he supposedly converted a little bit and then she passed away within a few hours. At least that's the way the story goes. But this irresistible grace was that you cannot resist the truth. So again, it, it pushes us towards the absolute concept of predestination, which undoes everything that Christ taught us you know, predestined, you know, before, you know, the beginning when I knew you and all this stuff, but Christ is clearly telling you to make choices as if there's some way you could make choices. And he tells you that part of making choices is to admit the truth about yourself so that you will see the truth about everybody else. If you don't see the truth about yourself, you will not see the truth about the rest of the world. This is kind of what's happening in Oregon with that Article 2, Section 22. I keep mentioning, you go read the article at Preparing You, but all the congressmen are violating that article and therefore should forfeit their office and step down and they're committed a felony. And they, they're fighting against so many congressmen and senators, even governors, who are trying to do the opposite of what they would like to see done. But they cannot say all those people should be out of office because they also would be out of office because they violated the terms of the agreement, which is Article 2, Section 22. They're in violation. So many of them are. But they can't say anything about it because they themselves have done this bad thing. 
So we have to turn around on that level as well. So, uh, but there is a free will. But if you make the wrong choice, you may lose access to that free will. You may go back and be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. What we see with Augustine and his writings is this creeping doctrines that draws people from faith in the way to the ways of the world. And we need to change that. So I, I pointed out uh, a line that uh, was evidently got a number of people put in Facebook jail because they quoted Augustine who was just quoting you know, Mark 7.3 about don't worry about the speck you know, in your neighbor's eye. Worry about the beam in your own. So, uh, that that perfectly innocent quote which talks about those who seek to criticize, not to correct, are unable to excuse themselves. They are ready to accuse others. So that was a quote by him and that got a bunch of guys banned from Facebook because evidently yeah, you're supposed to accuse others I guess I guess that's okay <laughs> yeah, but it, evidently it triggered somebody at Facebook so anyway but this quote is it was that quote was from a homily of Augustine and you know it has to do why are they so upset at that what are they hearing that I'm not hearing because I wouldn't be upset at that but somebody is so what What's happening is some people hear and see and perceive the world through a different filter, a level. They see the world through a different door, through a different window. And they cannot see anything that is not visible through that door. Well, the door of Christ, if you go through that door, you will see things much differently. Yeah, you will see things that you can't even imagine. But you haven't gone through that door. People say, oh, well, I've accepted Jesus as my heart as my personal Savior. Well, I don't think that cuts it. So you're going to have to think of something a little bit better than that. But we're going to take a break because I promised them I'm going to take breaks from now on. Or, you know, I'm supposed to do it every half hour, I guess. Okay, so welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And I was going to tell you some of the quotes and show you some of the differences in Augustine. Because the second Augustine that came much later uh, followed some of these same ideas and concepts. And one of the things that uh, Augustine of Hippo was adamant about is the papacy. And the papacy really hadn't got off the ground much yet. There was no popes originally. And nobody called Peter Pope. None of the early bishops of Rome were called Pope. Uh, they found one casket of a uh, bishop of Rome, and on it it said, To my Popa, uh, blessings of God, or something to that effect. Well, that was carved on there by the son of that bishop, because <laughs> that bishop was his Papa. Nobody, nobody used the name Pope originally in the church, because the, that means father, and we were to call no man father. And the church was not a top-down exercising authority institution because Christ had forbid top-down exercising authority. So, what was Augustine, where did Augustine really start to go wrong? Well, one of the things he wrote is, 
Right is right, even if no one is doing it. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Well, that that seems to fit, and there's a right and wrong. Well, of course, that's that black and white, spoken of in some of these other heresies, but it isn't necessarily wrong. And again, when I talked to I talked to him uh, about these heresies in an earlier program, and uh, I I only talked about uh, you know a handful of them, um, uh, not even a handful. I think I only mentioned three: uh, Pelagius and uh, Pelagism, Donatism. Uh, Donatism was, uh, you know, it was uh, came out of a church in Carthage around the fourth and sixth century, and uh, it argued that uh, Christian clergy must be faultless, and and it depends on the context. And again, most of what we know about these guys, we know about because of what uh, people have uh, told us about them. And most of the people that told us about them are the critics, because all the paperwork uh, on them uh, didn't survive. Like Manichaeism uh, was one of the major religion uh, founded by an Iranian in the Sasanian. Uh, empire, which was part of the mid-Persian Empire, and uh, it was a very complex, dualistic cosmology uh, that describes the struggle between good and evil in black and white terms. And so, when we're looking at uh, Augustine, and he says some of these things, it sounds like he's somewhat on the black and white. Uh, representation of these uh, different ideas of right and wrong. So, but anyway, so you have that right is right and wrong is wrong. And in itself, it's not necessarily wrong. The same as some of these heresies have a lot of truth in them, but then they go wrong somewhere. So is Augustine a heretic or is Augustine a hero? If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe in, but yourself, your own opinion. And that's another thing that Augustine uh, wrote. He, and, of course, that's that's true. And that is the foundation of what I've been talking about most of today is that people have these theologies or doctrines that they put together and they believe in those doctrines and they substitute that as a belief in Christ. But it's only a belief in Christ if the description of Christ that you have in your mind actually fits. If it doesn't fit, it isn't Christ. So another quote he had was, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance. So you have to repent to be forgiven. You're not forgiven because he died on the cross. You're forgiven because you repented. If you don't repent, you're not forgiven. I mean, you're condemned by your neglect, by what you don't do, by by your rejection of Christ. And and you have to turn around from that and go the other way. So he says, uh, forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow to your uh, procrastination. So, again, Christ had problems with that when uh, people would make excuses that, oh, I have to go bury my father first and all this stuff. 
And he warned against making those excuses. So why haven't you joined the network? Why aren't you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded? Why aren't you contributing daily so that there can be a daily ministration? You're waiting to see a need. Uh, The need is there. And the need for you to give is already there. Miracles are not contrary to nature. This is something he says that I absolutely agree with. Miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Because the natural state of man is the creation of miracles. People say that miracles are the super, uh, you know, uh, going over, going against the laws of nature. No. The laws of nature, you should be a miraculous being filled with miracles. And that's just the way it is. And you just don't understand your position in the kingdom. And that's why miracles are a surprise to you. But that's... So anyway, those all those statements I kind of agree with. But he also made other statements that would kind of make him more like the Church of Constantine. Punishment is justice for the unjust. Well, punishment? Well, God... You know, God seems to punish us. But the reality is it's back to that sidewalk thing. That if you break the rules, there's repercussions. There's going to be consequences for breaking the rules. Going the other way has consequences. And the only way to avoid those consequences is to repent and go the way you were supposed to go in the first place. It's not about... God is not sending this to punish you. The the wrath of God is not sent to punish you. It's sent to help awaken you. It helped draw you closer to salvation. And that's its goal. If Here's another quote. If two friends ask you to judge a dispute, don't accept because you will lose one friend. On the other hand, if two strangers come with the same request, accept because you will gain one friend. No. That's, that's this... You know, backstreet logic. If someone, if you judge a matter honestly and fairly, and the man who you thought was your friend will be your friend no longer, then what you have discovered is that he was not your friend to begin with. Because your friend must be a friend of righteousness. And there is no other alternative. So that's, that's really not Christian advice. That's the opposite of Christian advice. So, the third one I have is the greatest evil is physical pain. What? The greatest evil is physical pain? No, physical pain is a good thing, believe it or not, because it draws your attention to a problem. Without the physical pain, you would not know there was a problem. And so, physical pain is not punishment. You know, it's not evil. It's the results, maybe, of things that you've done that you should not have done. But in itself, it is not evil. So anyway, he goes on to say, according to his uh, contemporary Jerome, Augustine established a new and ancient faith. uh, Actually, it says he established a new, the ancient faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in Nimrod or faith in Christ? Because he wants a pope who is a Nimrod, a mighty provider instead of the Lord. And, of course, eventually the Pope didn't provide, but he got the government to provide. So, that's 
that's the antithesis of Christ. So Augustine was leading people away from Christ in the name of leading them towards Christ. Well, I'm trying to lead you away from that and lead you back towards Christ again. I have more here, more quotes on Augustine, and we can go through some of them and uh, see what see what uh, Elsie came up with. But the mere act, uh, the mere idea that he wanted this central authority, and we'll see this with uh, Augustine uh, that came later, that he was constantly writing the papacy. He was sent by the papacy to England. He was told to watch and to go slowly, and they allied themselves with a king who was trying to capture the Frank, uh, the markets with the Frank that was going to make him rich. And uh, by allying himself with the Pope, by accepting Augustine, of Canterbury, that's the other way you describe him as Augustine. He was named after Augustine of Hippo. But uh, when he became Augustine of Canterbury, he supposedly brought Christianity to England. Yet we know when he got there, there were all kinds of Christians. There were all kinds of bishops. There were all, And of course now, see, even if you're new and I mention the word bishop, you're thinking what we see as bishops today. But the words episcopo, and presbyter don't mean what we think they mean today. They mean what they meant back then. And Episcopal was an overseer. He is a minister of hundred. The minister of ten is a minister of ten families, and those ten families pick it. But a minister of a hundred, which they actually used to call hundredsmen, uh, and they had other names for them, but the, the minister of a hundred, he is ministered to the ten ministers who are ministered to ten families apiece. Therefore, that makes him a minister of a hundred. He doesn't have to know all one hundred people. He just has to know those ten ministers and they will know the ten families. And they would, you know, I would, I've talked to ministers and I say, they mentioned somebody and I kind of have a vague idea who they are. And I said, so is that the one that has, you know, a wife and two kids and and they say, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, so now I know who you're talking about. But I can't know all hundred people and all their families and all their wives' names. I mean, there are some people who have that capacity. I do not. But I can see some things and uh, know ten men. And those ten men can know ten more. And that's the way you create the network. That's the way the early church was organized, not like you do today. And it had to be organized that way in order to practice pure religion and a daily ministration, none of which goes on in your modern churches because they're mostly ear ticklers. So, uh, let's see here. I've got uh, some of the other things that were, went on with Augustine. You know, like I, I mentioned, Manichaean. Uh, religion, which was briefly the main rival of Christianity in the competition to replace classical paganism. Constantine Christianity was somewhat paganism. It did follow some of Christianity, and of course it used Christ, and, and Constantine financed the first Bible to be put together by Eusebius. And uh, they had over 140 books that were available for the New Testament, but he excluded most of them. 
And they just decided to exclude them and they compiled this thing that we call the Bible today, or at least something pretty close to what we call the Bible today. Of course, that's been translated and you lose stuff in translation. But Augustine actually tried to join the Manichaeans religion, which was uh, briefly the main rival uh, Christianity in competition to replace that classical paganism. Uh, his uh, sexual exploits and his mistress for 15 years, Augustine, before he became this bishop. And, of course, you have to remember Ambrose, when they went to elect him bishop, they pulled him out of a brothel. These guys were not the best guys to pick for these jobs. But those jobs were pretty lucrative because all the welfare was going to be run through men like Ambrose and Augustine. So all your contributions would go into them and that they would redistribute to ministers. That's not the way it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you give to your immediate minister and he only gives a portion, he gets to decide what portion, up to the next minister of ministers who can receive it or redistribute it. And they create a blood flow through the body of Christ uh, that is needed to sustain that body. But when there's difficulty, then you send them a signal and the blood pumps harder. The same as your own body. You start running and the heart's going to pump more blood through your veins. But in order to do that, you have to be somewhat active on a day-to-day basis so that we should be receiving from each congregation and those congregations send up to their next overseer and then he sends out to those who are needed. And he can eat of the altar if he's an ordained minister. Very few ordained ministers in the church because there's almost nobody today that meets the qualifications of ministers as described by Christ. But hopefully that will change if you start coming together with what you have. Because if you don't need help amongst the local congregation, you can take that money or those funds or those things that you've given and help people outside the congregations. And the ministers, the ordained ministers, need to be very separate from the world. The other ministers, well, well, we'll explain that in another place. So, but to stay on point with Augustine, Augustine confessed that he was not a lover of wedlock so much as a slave of lust. So he procured another concubine since he had to wait two years until his fiancée came of age, for she was only ten years old at the time. It was during those two years that he decided to become a celibate priest instead like Ambrose. So Ambrose was one, you know, the apostles were mostly all married. Likely even Paul was married, but maybe a widower. But uh, Ambrose was this celibate. And that's where that started coming in. Of course, Ambrose was all for an authoritarian church. He was the one who appeared. We have articles that will link to Ambrose. But he appeared before the Roman Senate shortly after. See, he was found in a brothel by the people who wanted to elect him bishop. They wanted to elect him bishop because he had been distributing the, you know, the, the free bread of Rome and handling those projects. And so, therefore, he knew the system. They said, well, let's get Ambrose. We trust Ambrose. We think he does a good job. 
And so they elected him bishop because that's what religion was to take care of the needy of society. And everybody paid in. It's kind of a social insurance in order for them to have the means by which to take care of the needy of society. Ambrose was good at that. But Ambrose, when he, he, he didn't know anything about Christianity when he was elected bishop, so he had to go away and study it. And he came back and he said, anybody who doesn't believe in our brand of Christianity should be persecuted and forced out of the Roman Empire. That's not Christ. And so, and he was for this central government control. So was Augustine for men who exercised authority. So was Augustine Canterbury, which we'll see in spades when we get to talking about him. And so these people are moving us away from the righteousness of God. They're not moving us towards the righteousness of God. They're not moving us towards free will offerings. They're setting it up so that there would be no free will offerings. Let's see, Augustine lived a life of the aristocrat, leisure, at his family's property until his his mother and eventually his son died. His son was by the uh, mistress, I guess you say, not a wife. He then gave much of his wealth to the poor and started a monastery for his followers. Well, there was a certain economic... Again, there are multiple kinds of monasteries. So, they're giving to the poor and they started a monastery for their followers. What does the monastery do? It provides services for the people. It's it's like doctors today. Doctors provide medical treatment and help and everybody pays good money for that treatment and help. Well, that's what you, if you wanted to, and people pay good money to get into Harvard and, and Yale and all those kinds of things. Well, you got a good education at a monastery. You got health care at a monastery. You got all kinds of benefits from a monastery. So running a monastery was often a pretty lucrative business if you got lots of rich clientele. And so when they says he gave away his wealth to the poor, how did he do it? He did it through the monastery. So the monasteries were starting, these monasteries in 391 were getting very wealthy. That this would get to an nth degree eventually around uh, 900, uh, 1100 AD. But this was the beginning of that process because most monasteries were actually serving the poor and the needy of society. And they would help the rich too because they had this education on health and and education, you know, they could teach their sons Greek and Latin and all kinds of languages, and they would be smarter and smarter kids. So they would cater to them, and they would get a lot of money from the rich men and a little money from the middle class and a tiny little bit from the poor. But they would help all these different classes. So that's what monasteries are for. When he gave his money to the monastery and everything, he this is going to be all tax-free. He was protected by the state because Constantine had legalized Christianity. So he was going to be able to live out a fairly comfortable life. Yes, he was a man of service. Yes, he had a lot of good ideas. Yes, his monastery, in order to be effective, had to be of service to the local communities, including the poor. And so, but it was tainted because he also was approving of men who exercised authority to provide some of those benefits to the monastery at the expense of others wasn't quite the taxation that we see under Lady Godiva, but not far from it. So anyway, it says here, the terrible doctrine of predestination was taken up against in various forms at various 
ages by the Cathars, which is a, a group of people into the north, uh, the Albigenses, uh, and the, the Calvinists and the Janicenists were all had different variations of this philosophy of predestination and was also to play a curious part in the theological struggles of Kepler and Galileo as well. So, because how far do we take this predestination? And, you know, I'm not going to go off too much on that tangent of predestination, but we've already touched on it, that if you jump off the building, you're predestined to hit the sidewalk. But if you choose not to jump off the building, then you're not necessarily going to hit the sidewalk. Unless somebody else pushes you off the building. <laughs> but the the reality is that's as far as predestination goes because there is choice. If you choose to go down certain paths, you will inevitably incur certain results. And so you want to avoid those. You have to avoid making those original decisions. You don't go to church to feel good. You go to church to learn to know what is good, what is righteous for your neighbor and for yourself. There, there was another thing that uh, Paul uh, had. Again, there are countless redeeming aspects and ambiguities and contradictions in the Augustine writings, such as his passionate pleading against the death penalty and judicial torture, his repeated affirmation that omnis naturae in quantum natura est bonum est. It may even be said that Augustine was not Augustinian. And that, I'm actually quoting from the book The Sleepwalkers, A History of Man's Changing Vision of the Universe uh, by Arthur Kussler. But, the, you know, the, the Latin phrase there that I was reading, uh, to translate it, is all nature insofar as nature is, it is good. Or all nature in as much as it is nature is good. So, supposedly, Augustine was suggesting that we should move away from a scientific observation and just accept certain things as natural. And to some degree, that's it's kind of true, this uh, omnis natura and quantum natura est bonus est, or bonum est, and the objective uh, I used to study a lot of Latin, but I'm, I'm I'm getting pretty rusty of it after 50 years. <laughs> I don't read much in Latin. Jerome wrote and you know translated the Bible into Latin, but that's we have early enough manuscripts that you're better off sticking with the Greek if you want to research, because you know you translate it from 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 Hebrew probably to Greek and then Greek to Latin and then Latin to English. You you could. You could be a long ways off by the time you got to the end of that translation, <laughs> to say the least. But um, anyway, I don't really see that so much, uh, I guess, in that he was leading us away from science uh, to be more, you know, what do they call it, the natural man. 
I don't, I don't really find the evidence of that in uh, his writings, but th- they attributed to him, and somehow that was, it, and, and it had something to do with the predestination philosophy and how Galileo and them took it. There is a predestination after you make a choice. And you don't have a lot of choices. You have some basic choices. You make a choice not to listen to the Holy Spirit. You make a choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You you make a choice to deny uh, the, the the reprimand of God and, uh, and of the prophets of God who come to you and say, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. You deny that. There's repercussions for that. You know, because if you keep denying it and denying it, he won't send a mediator to help you out. So, the biggest problem with Augustine was that he was promoting the papacy. And the papacy, the popacy, whatever you want to call it, that means father. This, This central social father who has power over your opinion of what is right and wrong, or, or in some cases, when mixed with the kingdom, the left hand and the right hand, has the power over your very being. Not just what you think, but what you do. And then he can regulate you and say, time to contribute, and you have to contribute. So, how do you break the spell of that condemnation? Is that you have to turn around and start doing those very basic, simple things of gathering to in the name of Christ, which means to gather, to wash each other's feet, to serve each other, to sacrifice for one another. And when you do that, it begins to open up your mind so that you see more clearly. Some of the quotes of Augustine, and he gets a very convoluted, very intellectual guy, and he actually was trying to figure things out, and he figured out some things and other things he did not. I mean, like, there's one accustomed from the city, uh, quote, excuse me, from the City of God that he wrote, and sin is to a nature what blindness is to an eye. So sin is something that is unnatural, I guess. Just as the blindness is not sight. The blindness is an evil or a defect. Well, which is it? Evil or a defect? Well, if evil is equated with darkness, it's the absence. So blindness is simply the absence of sight. It's not a thing. It's just the absence of sight. He calls it a defect, which is witness to the fact that the eye was created to see light, and hence the very lack of sight is proof that the eye was meant to be the one particular capability of seeing the light. So, yeah, if the eye does not see, if if it does not see the truth, if you do not see the truth, then that is evidence that something is missing. And so, do I just go and tell you the truth and then you will see it? No. You should see it by the introduction of the spirit of right reason, the spirit of the will of God. So you have to be doing the will of God in order to bring the spirit of sight or insight to you, into you, And that's just the way it works. So if you're not willing to see the truth of what you're not doing and what you're doing that you should not be doing, then how will you see the truth about other things as well? I quote him also, he says, How stupid man is to be unable to restrain feelings in suffering and human lot. 
That was my state at the time. And uh, so I boiled with anger, sighed, wept, and was at my wits. And I found no calmness, no capacity for deliberation. I carried my lacerated and bloody soul when it was unwilling to be carried by me. I found no place where I could put it down. There was no rest in pleasant groves, nor in games of song, or in sweet-scented places, nor in exquisite feasts, nor in the pleasure of the bedroom or bed, nor finally in books and poetry. So the stupid man is to be unable to restrain his feelings in suffering. He doesn't, rest does not give him rest. Pleasure does not give him pleasure. Well, that's kind of an interesting saying, but it's not, I don't see Christ in it. Sorry, just don't see it. So, he also said, so material, a difference does it make. So material, a difference does it make. Not what ills are suffered but what kind of man suffers them so it's how you suffer is what he's trying to say so he he was very prolific wrote lots of things they're sometimes very difficult to follow and sometimes they are not i don't really see that much christ in what he was saying he's very critical of some people very condemning of other people and we've seen some of the other quotes that just seem to be contrary he says this is pride when the soul abandons him to whom it ought cleave as its end and becomes a kind of end to itself. This happens when it becomes its own satisfaction. Pride becomes its own satisfaction. It, you abandon your soul. See, your soul requires humility. In order to receive the truth, because you have to admit you're not the source of the truth. You can't decide what is good and evil on your own. So how do you get to that point? And one of the things we suggest is meditation, learning to be still so that you may know. And if you don't be still, then you probably won't know. You you won't be able to see the truth. And see, when you try to be still, the tr- the lie that is already in you, it has gotten in you through trauma, through neglect, abuse, or your abuse of others. That lie, that deception, that dishonesty, it it does not like the light. It does not like to be seen. The more you see it, the more it will flee from you. So you have to be willing to see the truth, truth about yourself. The early city has made for herself, according to her heart's desire, false gods, out of any source at all, even out of human beings. So how do you make gods out of human beings? Well, you appoint them judges, because that's what a god is. It's the one who decides what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. That she might adore them with sacrifice. The heavenly one, on the other hand, living like a wayfarer in the world, makes no false gods for herself. On the contrary, she herself is made by the true God and she 
may be herself in true sacrifice to him. So, these are what they consider the magnanimous quotes of Augustine. Do they, do they make sense? Do they, are they putting ideas together so that you can comprehend Christianity? Or is it making things more convoluted, more confusing? He says, to confess then is to praise and glorify God. It is an excess, exercise in self-knowledge and true humility in the atmosphere of grace and reconciliation. Well, even psychologists know that, you know, you sit somebody down on a couch and you get them to talk about their problems. That's a form of confession. And, you know, there's, you know, famous scenes in, in movies and, and I've even heard Jordan Peterson talk about it where you, you sit there and you just listen to the person talk about their problem. And they almost solve it themselves. You might ask them a few questions, but they come to the conclusion themselves. They, they solve their own problem because the, their confession to another person is allowing them to hear their own confession. And their confession, if you want to know the truth, will include the truth. So all these are parts of the process of understanding who Augustine was and reading these different quotes, but then I am taking a lot of them out of context. You can go read those books that I've listed off. But the truth is, is Augustine was a guy who had lots and lots of problems when he was younger and was not doing things the way of Christ. And then he tried to become this bishop, but he was becoming a bishop of the Constantinian church. And so that's why he still thought about having somebody who would be at the top exercising authority to those who were below. But he was in the charity business. He understood that religion was taking care of the needy of society. I could keep on going down here, but uh, there's some other things that are coming up. Uh, what I would like to just talk about briefly is, the is again, I've mentioned it several times during the program, it's really so important. You can read the other quotes there on the Augustine page, and I, I see that there are a number of problems there that I still have to work on. But I, at the rate I'm going today, I don't know if I will get to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still behind on last week's work. But uh, it's really important that you start investing in your fellow man. Investing in this network that's supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his right, righteousness. It's very important that you put in the time, the energy, and, and maybe even resources as to that. <laughs> I have people peering in at me, grandchildren coming in to see me. Uh, it's very important that you put the time into uh, investing in one another because that's that the process of laying down, laying down your life. It's very important that in this white Christ commanded. It's just astounded me. You know, I'm reading the Bible. And I'm saying, here it is, right here. And and knowing what I know about history, knowing that most free governments were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be establishing in your local community. And I know that we're spread out and there's hardly anybody that will listen. It's very frustrating because so many people just want to go and feel good or imagine that they already know or that I'm a pretty good guy. 
but they they really don't have a clear picture of what the real Christ was, what the real church was doing. So they don't understand the standards of a free society. And that's why you have, you know, 80% of the people holding political office in Oregon are in violation. They're felons. They're literally felons. And they're in violation of the Constitution. They're supposed to forfeit their office, and they're not doing it. And the people aren't holding them accountable. They're still getting tickets, and they're still having to pay taxes, and they're still playing government and playing church, but they're not really doing what they need to be doing. But I'm going to sign off early on today's show, and uh, hopefully... I'm only a few minutes early. We've got about five minutes to go, but things are coming up. I'm getting signals that I need to go and do other things. And uh, so I'm just flat out running out of time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, join us on the network. Go to preparingyou.com. Go to hisholychurch.org. Start learning what you didn't know about the kingdom of God. Gather together with other people on the network. Uh, start going to our weekly calls and, and talking to people. we got hundreds of 400 hours of audio up. Uh, listen to them on podcasts and start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But put what you begin to discover into action because that is putting your foot in the door. That is going to open the way to you. And so until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.